to me. Father in heaven, now we come to your word and I confess that there's so much in us still that causes us to be resistant against hearing the truth. So I pray you would overcome all of that. Holy Spirit, come, we pray, and work in us in such a way that any resistance to the powerful word of God would be taken away and it be shown to be glorious and powerful in our lives so that it digs deep, plants in the very essence of our being, enabling us, transforming us, enabling us to live in such a way that shows the very fact that Christ has come and that he's died for us and that he's risen and ascended in spirit that you've come upon us. So we pray that you would work that in us. Give grace and power to Jerry as he preaches. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I've been here so often that I'm not going to say I'm glad to be here. I think you know that. Uh, so we'll just get right to the message. And if you'll open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 18. Some of you were here Friday night and yesterday morning for our conference on what is the gospel. And uh, this passage that we're going to look at today in the application of this passage is certainly one of the primary fruits of the gospel. So let's begin by looking at the text here, beginning with verse 21 of Matthew 18. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 3.13, and this is just one of several instances in which he says words to this effect, 
but he, he wrote these words, If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Two things I want us to see there. He says, as you have been forgiven, so you're to forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. He says, and he, he says, so you also must forgive. Forgiveness of one another is not an option. According to the Apostle Paul, he says, as God has forgiven us, so we also must forgive one another. Now, that's a brief statement regarding the importance of forgiveness. But then the question arises, how do we do this? And the passage that we're going to look at this morning in Matthew 18 answers that question, how do we do it? The actual parable or that Jesus tells about the serv- of the master and his servant and then the fellow servant is, begins with the question that Peter asked of Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then Peter wanted to be generous and very spiritual And so he said as many as seven times, because seven was the perfect number for the Jews. And Jesus said, no, Peter, it's not seven times, but it's 70 times seven. Or if you have another translation, it might say 77. But regardless, Jesus is intending to say there, as often as your brother sins against you, you're to forgive him. In other words, you don't count 490 times and then the 491st time you say it's your credit's exhausted no more forgiveness for you but as often as your brother sins against you so you are to forgive that brother and then Jesus tells the parable and the parable doesn't actually answer the question the number of times but it points us to the for, the basis for forgiveness to forgive somebody as many times as he or she sins against us, the 490 times is uh, quite a step. And so Jesus is going to tell us here in the parable the basis upon which we can continue to forgive one another as often as they sin against us. And if we understand that, we will not bother counting. In fact, we will no longer keep a record. Now, I'm sure that most of you are familiar with this parable, but the king's servant who was not just uh, someone who was, uh, you know, cleaning bathrooms or this kind of thing. Uh, but he was probably a high official. In fact, he would have had to have been a high official in order to uh, owe 10,000 talents. Now, let me just get right to the, the meaning of this. Uh, a, a talent was 6,000 denarii, and a denarius was a day's wages. And so, uh, if without going through the math, just trust me, that he's talking about 200,000 years of a laborer's wages. Now, if we would take that into our present-day economy of around thirty dollars to $40,000 a year for, say, an ordinary laborer, then we're looking at about 6 to $8 billion, which is an unimaginable sum. And, in fact, there was no way that a servant could have gotten that deeply in debt to his master, but Jesus occasionally used hyperbole to make his point. And here he's, he's stretching the facts. He, he creates the story so he can make, he can put in that any figures that he wants to. And in order to make his point, he puts in an unimaginable sum in terms of our dollars today, six to eight billion dollars that this servant was in debt to him. 
And so the, the master required an accounting. And uh, the, the servant had embezzled or had frittered away or somehow he had become deeply in debt. Now, in real life, that would have been impossible. But again, Jesus is using hyperbole to make his point. And so this servant comes to him and there's no way that he can pay his debt. And the master is about ready to throw him into jail and the servant begs for mercy. And so the master, out of pity for him, released him and forgave him that debt. And then the servant went out and he happened to see as he's leaving the very presence of the master, having just been forgiven this enormous, unimaginable debt of six to eight billion dollars. He goes out from the presence of the master and he sees one of his colleagues, a fellow servant, who happens to owe him a hundred denarii. Now that would be a third of a year's wages because a 300 denarii would be about the 300 days. And so um, we're talking about ten to $15,000. Now that's not just a meager sum, that's a significant amount. But compared, of course, to the six to $8 billion, it is virtually nothing. And so the second servant, he, he, he begins to choke him. He doesn't just require an account. He doesn't just say, hey, you owe me this money. You know, uh, let's talk about it or anything like that. He grabs him by the throat and begins to choke him and demand the payment of the money. And the second servant begs for patience in uh, the identical words that the first servant had used in begging for patience with the master. But the first servant, who has just been forgiven this enormous sum of money, does not forgive his fellow servant. Instead, he has him cast into jail so he should pay his debt. Now, this parable obviously turns on the enormous difference between the two debts. The enormous difference between six and eight, six to eight billion dollars and ten to fifteen thousand dollars. Now, as I said, ten to fifteen thousand dollars is not insignificant even to us today, but to the disciples, that would have been a significant amount of money, a third of a year's wages. And, and the thing I want you to get from what I've just said is that this, the debt of the second servant was not insignificant. Or to put it in moral language of a sin against one another, because this is basically what Jesus is talking about, it's not just a snub. It's not just passing you on the street and not saying hello or something like that. It is a significant sin, ten to $15,000. That's not exactly coffee break money. And for the disciples, that ten to $15,000 would have been a significant amount. I, I want you to see that the sin of the second servant against the first, or the debt, actually, in the parable, is not insignificant. It's important that we realize that. Because as we begin to apply this parable to our forgiveness of one another, which, of course, is what the parable is all about, then we begin to keep score and we say, well, yeah, I can forgive that sin. But this sin, oh, no, I can't possibly forgive this. This guy defrauded me of $1,000. I, I could never forget that. This person messed up. I could never forget that. I think of a situation out in Colorado with a pastor and the church of pastor friend of mine, and uh, uh, in some way, which is not clear to me, and it doesn't make any difference, but in some way, uh, 
the, the teenage daughter of this particular man uh, was involved in something, and, and one of the church elders got involved to try to resolve the situation, and the father thought he had mishandled it. And so he became very unforgiving and very bitter. And the pastor said to me, the man is eaten up with bitterness. Now you see, there, in his mind, here was a sin. And actually it wasn't a deliberate sin, if it was at all. But the elder, in his mind, had mishandled the situation. After all, it's my daughter he's talking about, see. And he refuses to forgive. That particular act on the part of the elder was was too expensive, shall we say, to be forgiven. He said to the pastor, well, I, I forgive him, but I want nothing to do with him anymore. Well, he hasn't forgiven. As we will see, as we begin to press through on this. So what is the message here? The message is every one of us is a 10,000 talent debtor to God. We are all, every one of us in this room, are represented by the servant who owed the 10,000 talent debt. Our moral debt to God, our spiritual debt to God, because of our consistent, persistent sin day after day after day, is utterly unpayable. You say, well, I haven't murdered anyone, I haven't committed adultery, I pay my taxes, I mow my grass, you know, I do everything right, see? But have you loved God with all of your heart and soul and mind? Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? Jesus said those are the two basic commandments. When he was asked, what is the first commandment? That's how he responded. He said, you shall love the Lord our God with all your heart and soul and mind. And then he said, the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And every one of us. In the light of those two commandments are 10,000 talent debtors. Now let's go back to the parable for a moment. When the master forgave that servant, the we'll call it $8 billion, when the master forgave the servant, what happened to that? Does he just write it off? I mean, does he just walk away and forget it? No. The moment that that master said, I forgive you of that debt. His net worth was decreased by $8 billion. It cost the master $8 billion to forgive that debt. Those of you who have business backgrounds or you know anything about accounting, you know that a legitimate debt is carried as an asset on your balance sheet. And when you forgive that debt, that reduces your net worth by that amount. You write it off. And this master has written off this unimaginable sum out of pity for the first man. It cost the king an enormous sum to forgive his servant of that debt. Now the application is this, of, of that particular point is this. It will always cost you to forgive. It will always cost you to forgive. It will cost you your sense of justice. You have to give up your sense of justice. You have to give up wanting this person to be paid back in some way. You have to give up the tendency to hold that against the person. 
you have to give up the sense of somehow wanting some revenge in some way. Whatever it is that's in your unforgiving spirit, you have to give that up. It costs to forgive. Now, when God forgave us, it was not a financial cost. It was the cost of the death of his son. And compared to the cost of the death of the Son of God, not just the physical death, but the bearing of the wrath of God as he hung on the cross and as he absorbed in his soul and in his body the wrath of God poured out on him, the wrath that you and I deserved and should have been poured out on us. But as he hung on the cross there in our place, it cost him, but it also cost the Father to give his Son This is how much God loved us. He gave his one and only son to bear the wrath that that we deserved. No price can be put on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins. And so the message of the parable is clear. The debt of other people's sin against us is very, very small compared to the debt of our sin against God. Now, some of you have been sinned against in very significant ways. I, I don't know you folks and have, you know, beyond just meeting you here uh, once a year. And I do not know your backgrounds and I do not know the circumstances. But I can, can guess that in an audience of this size, that there are people who have been hurt, who have been sinned against significantly. And you might be thinking, if he only knew what I've been through, if he only knew what so-and-so did to me, he wouldn't be talking so glibly about forgiveness. But remember, regardless of how significant the other person's sin is against you, regardless of how deeply they have hurt you, either emotionally or morally or financially or some way, regardless of how deeply they have hurt you, It is still virtually nothing compared to our sin against God. Let's suppose that instead of saying a hundred denarii, Jesus had said the second servant owed a thousand denarii, about three years of wages compared to the six billion dollars or six to eight billion dollars. That that change would have been insignificant. I mean, compared to the eight billion dollars, this Virtually no difference between a third of a year's wages and three years' wages. Because we're talking about, in terms of years, we're talking about 200,000 years of wages versus one year or two years or three years. An unimaginable difference. Other people sin against us regardless of how severe they may be or how often they occur. You may be thinking, well, there's this person who just keeps getting at me, keeps jabbing me some way, you know. And uh, regardless of how severe the sin may be or how often it occurs, it is still virtually nothing compared to our sin against God. Now, I realize that this is hard to grasp when you have not committed any 
grave crimes or anything like that. But let me say to you, dear friends, until you and I come to the place where we can say, I am the 10,000 talent debtor, we will struggle to forgive other people. I remember several years ago, and in one sense I'm not even supposed to remember this, but the reason I remembered it is because it serves to illustrate my point. But I had a colleague who, for some reason, uh, enjoyed sort of putting me down. And um, so and I had a particular responsibility in the organization that I served with the navigators. And from time to time, he would make remarks about, you know, that this responsibility was really not all that important. And then a few years later, I moved out of that responsibility and began to do what I'm doing now. And in the providence of God, he assumed that responsibility. <laughs> and one day I happened to encounter, I no longer work in the navigator's office, but one day I happened to be in the office and I encountered him and he dropped some remarks, these subtle remarks, you know, the same subtlety that he used to put me down. Now he dropped these subtle remarks about how important that responsibility was. <laughs> And I was ticked. <laughs> but as I walked away, the thought came to me, I am the 10,000 talent debtor. You know, that wasn't even a hundred denarii, maybe 10. If you and I are going to succeed in learning to forgive, and remember, Paul says, as God has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This is not an option, dear friends. If you and I are going to succeed in doing that, we have got to come to the place where we can genuinely say, Lord, I am a 10,000 talent debtor. And every one of us in this room, without exception, every one of us is a 10,000 talent debtor. And once we embrace the reality of that, we can say, God, that was a terrible wrong. When we've been sinned against, we can say, God, that was a terrible wrong. But compared to my sin against you, it is nothing. I'm indebted to Pastor Vogler for this illustration, which those of you who heard him through the book of Hebrews may remember it. But he used the illustration of spilling some ink on two rugs. And uh, back um, when I was studying engineering in, in college, we used uh, indelible India ink to do our engineering drawings. And suppose that we have a rug that you've picked up at the local discount store. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a nice rug, but it costs you a couple of hundred dollars. And I come in and I spill this indelible India ink, this bottle of indelible India ink on your rug. Now, that's bad. But, it, you know, we're talking about a $200 rug. But in contrast, suppose that I spill that same bottle of ink, or one just like it, on a Persian rug that cost a million dollars. It's the same ink. It's the same act on my part. But now we're talking about a serious affair, are we not? We're talking about having just ruined a rug that cost a million dollars. 
what I want you to see here is that the, the enormity of the crime, if we can put it that way, or the mistake, the accident, the enormity of the cost of the accident is not determined by the action, but by the price of the rug. Now, the point I want to make from that is the glory of God is represented by that million-dollar Persian rug. And when you and I fail to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind, we are, as it were, spilling that indelible ink on God's million-dollar rug, his glory. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have failed to render to God the glory that's due to him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that whether you eat or drink, you're to do all to the glory of God. That means that all the most mundane activities of your day, your driving, your shopping, your playing tennis, whatever you might do, it's to be done to the glory of God. And all of us come short of that. In fact, I would dare to say that many of us will go through an entire day and not give one single thought to how our activities may or may not glorify God. And when we live like that, dear friends, we're robbing God of his glory. We're spilling that ink on his million-dollar rug. In fact, if we want to really make the point, it's not just that we accidentally spill the ink on his rug, we pour it on. And that's why we can say that every one of us is a 10,000-talent debtor. When Jesus told the parable, it's obvious that he intended for Peter and the other disciples to get that message. There's no place in the parable or in the application of the parable where Jesus says, now, I know that you folks are not 10,000-talent debtors. He doesn't say that. And by his very silence... He is saying that all of us are the 10,000 talent debtors. Until you and I learn that, until we absorb that in the very depths of our being and can sincerely and meaningfully and humbly say, yes, Lord, I am the 10,000 talent debtor. Until we can say that, we will struggle to forgive when people wrong us in some way. But once we come to that, it's not that it will be easy to forgive. I'm not suggesting that. But at least it gives us the basis upon which we are to seek to forgive and to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to forgive. Now the question we need to ask is, what does it mean to forgive? And the answer is, we're to forgive as God has forgiven us. And so then we say, how has God forgiven us? Well, we go to the scripture and we see in Psalm 103, verse 12, that God has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Now, that's a Hebrew idiom, meaning as far away as possible. And basically what the psalmist is saying is God has put away our sin. Or Isaiah forty three twenty five. I am he who blots out your transgressions, and here's the key, and will not remember your sins. 
Romans 4.8 Blessed is the person against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Or Hebrews 10.17 I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. And there, the writer of Hebrews equates God's forgiveness with his not remembering them anymore. Now, there's a difference between forgetting and not remembering. Forgetting is something we do all the time. You know, you forget where you put something. Or, you know, for you men, uh, we men, myself, uh, our wife asks us to do something, pick up something at the grocery store on the way home, and we get home and she said, well, did you get the milk? Oh, I forgot, you know. All of us, men and women, you know, we do that, those kinds of things. But when God says, I will not remember, what he's saying is, I will no longer bring it up. I wipe the slate clean, so to speak. It isn't that God has forgotten. It's that God chooses to no longer hold them against us. And so to forgive a person means we basically put it out of our minds in terms of holding it against the person. Now, I'm not suggesting that you can just obliterate from your mind some wrong action that was done towards you, particularly if it was significant, like some childhood abuse or, or somebody defrauded you of a significant amount of money or somebody slandered you in a significant way. I'm not saying that you can just totally put that out of your mind. But I'm saying that you can no longer hold it against the person. You can refuse to bring it up. And if it comes up involuntarily, you put it out of your mind. This is what it means to forgive, dear friends. It means to no longer hold it against a person. It means to no longer bring it up, even to yourself. It means that as far as that person's actions are concerned and that person's relationship with you, the slate is wiped clean, just as your slate of your sin against God has been wiped clean. Now, what basis did God do this? Of course, the reason he no longer counts our sin against us is he counted it against Christ. And this person who has wronged you, if that person is a believer, God no longer counts that sin against him. So who are we, when God has forgiven, who are we to refuse to forgive? That's why Paul would say, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Is there someone that even today in your mind, as, as we have gone over this passage of Scripture and it's brought to your mind some significant sin against you. And maybe you've struggled to forgive, or maybe you haven't even wanted to forgive. Or maybe you say, well, I've forgiven, but I can't forget. No, we just decided here on the basis of what God says, that if you can't forget, you haven't forgiven. Is there someone who has wronged you? whether it's a minor thing 
or a major thing, and now you're still holding that against the person. Paul says, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. As we look at the last couple of verses of this passage, I admit to you that I do not understand them. I'm not prepared to explain how they relate to the doctrine of eternal security or these kinds of things. But in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. And then Jesus said, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, as I say, I'm not prepared to explain that. I'm not prepared to tell you how that relates to the fact that if you are a true child of God, you will never lose your salvation. I confess I do not understand what Jesus is really saying here in this passage, but I do see this. Whatever Jesus is saying here, he's saying this is a serious matter. This is a serious matter, whether we forgive one another. And those of us who wouldn't think of stealing from our employer or committing adultery or these kinds of things will consider an unforgiving spirit a light thing. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way it is. Whatever Jesus is saying here, he says, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, this is a serious matter with God. I pray that every one of us will take to heart this message. And maybe even this afternoon we'll spend time with God asking him to search our hearts. Is there anyone? Maybe today you can't think of anyone, but is there anyone that deep down in your heart you're still holding something against that person? Maybe it's not gnawing away at you, but it's there. And then there are others that it is gnawing away. And I would just ask you today to go over this passage of Scripture to, to embrace the message that Jesus is teaching us here and to ask the Holy Spirit to enable us to forgive even as God has forgiven us. So we pray. Our Father, we realize that this is a difficult truth to apply. We sort of think it's our right to hold against our brother or sister the wrongs that have been done against us. I pray that you would help us to accept the message that Jesus teaches us here in this parable and to forgive from our hearts any who may have sinned against us. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. Please stand for the benediction. As you do, I remind you of our Sunday school classes happening at uh, about 15 minutes. The uh, response to the benediction is, Jesus is Lord. Uh, Hallelujah. And while a message like this uh, can rock us deeply, we wonder how we can do this or Confidence, of course, is in God that he will enable us. So please receive this as God's benediction. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine through his power that is at work within us. To be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus.
both now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah.